Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. It's good to be with you today. And my name is Bob and I'm one of the pastors here at ALC. And uh, this weekend I was given the opportunity to pick a topic pick a passage uh, based on whatever I felt God was laying on my heart. And uh, that was a pretty exciting opportunity. And uh, so after praying through and thinking through, I found a passage, I found a topic uh, that I'm excited to share with you this morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase that you should never, ever under any circumstances talk about politics or religion. You know, that was kind of an unspoken mantra in my house growing up. Uh, but today I have chosen to talk about both of these topics. And now we're in a church service. If you didn't know, this is a church service. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, but so you probably expected to talk about religion. That was probably a given. Uh, but today I want to talk about politics as well. Now, I told this to my wife. Uh, I told her, I, I think I'm gonna do a message on politics. I feel like this is something that God's you know, put on my heart. This is weighing pretty heavy on me. I, I think I'm gonna talk about this. And I wish I could have captured her facial expression on photo, uh, but basically her response was, that's gonna be a pretty difficult task. And, and maybe, uh, but this has been weighing on me and I want today to look at a, a topic, this topic of politics through the theological lens of a passage written by the apostle Paul, uh, specifically one written to the church in Philippi. Now, the church there was struggling with division and disunity. And in the midst of that, Paul writes this letter, the letter of Philippians. I don't think we need to look too far into our world today, especially into politics today, to see division and disunity. So I think what Paul has to say to the church in Philippi is gonna be super relevant to us, especially as followers of Jesus. So I've titled my message today, Souls United, and that'll make more sense as we go. And I'm gonna invite you to open up your Bibles, uh, whether a physical Bible or an app on a phone to Philippians chapter two. And we're gonna begin reading together in verse one. Paul says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Paul asks this, this series of questions in verse one, all of which imply that the answer should be this emphatic yes. He says, are you encouraged because you belong to Christ? The answer should be absolutely yes. I'm encouraged because of my relationship with Jesus. Do you have any comfort from his love? Are you comforted knowing the incredible love of God? The answer should be absolutely yes. Have you experienced fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit? Do you feel connected to God? Uh, the answer should be yes. And are your hearts tender and compassionate? You know, Paul asked this series of questions and I know Paul's hope is that they would say, yes, absolutely. We've been encouraged by, by Jesus. We're comforted by Jesus. We, we have connection to God through, through Jesus and through the Spirit. And so he goes on to verse two. He says, well, if these things exist, if you've experienced this, verse two, then make me truly happy by doing three things. He says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another, and by working together with one mind and one purpose. 
Paul in this passage is going to paint this beautiful picture of what relationships should look like, especially relationship between Christ followers with other Christ followers. But I think this is going to extend to all relationships. Verse two, he offers us a threefold command. There are three instructions here. And I wanna look at each one of these instructions. And with them, I'm gonna provide you with a Greek word that goes along with them, the Greek word that we get this translation from. Now, I promise this will not be difficult. There will be no exam at the end. But if, if you're taking notes, if you've got a pen, I would write these three Greek words down. The first one that we're gonna look at is that, that first phrase, Paul says, if you've experienced these things, if you've been comforted by Jesus and, and you've experienced his love, he says, agree wholeheartedly with one another. It's the Greek word phreneo, phreneo. And I think the, the translation here is a little bit misleading uh, because uh, agree wholeheartedly with each other sounds like my question would be, uh, do I just agree with everything? You know, in terms of this political conversation, if, if I'm hanging out with a Republican, uh, should I, as Paul says, just agree wholeheartedly? Whatever they say I go along with, I'm agreeing with them. Is, is that what unity looks like? If I'm hanging out with a Democrat, do I just agree wholeheartedly with everything they have to say? Or in, instead of that, more so what I, what I think we do is do I solidify whatever my view is and then only hang out with people who agree with me and that way we can agree wholeheartedly on whatever the topic is. You know, should I only hang out with people who agree with me? Should I only read books by authors who agree with me? Should I only look at news uh, articles and watch news stations that agree with me? Should I only follow people on social media that agree with me? I watched a, a TED talk this week from a guy uh, named John Noonan. And uh, in this TED talk, he was talking about uh, the division that exists in our country today, especially political division. And uh, he had some really good stuff to say about it. I wanna, I wanna show you a chart here. Uh, Pew Research uh, put out uh, this claim and uh, they've been doing this study for, for a number of years now and they surveyed people on 10 different topics to see whether they leaned conservative or liberal on these 10 different issues. And the survey claims that Republicans and Democrats are further apart than they've ever been before. You can see the gap between the, the median political worldview has increased dramatically. Now, I'll show you the second chart, which kind of breaks down the first one a little bit with some specifics. It says 25 years ago, only 64% of Republicans were more conservative than the median Democrat. I mean, just, just think about that for a second. You have the median Democrat and 64% of Republicans were more conservative than the median Democrat. Now we'd expect all Republicans to be more conservative than the median Democrat, right? But only 64%. As of a little over five years ago, that number was at 92%. And today I would suggest it's probably even higher than that. On the flip side, 25 years ago, 70% of Democrats were more liberal than the median Republican. We would expect Democrats to be more liberal than the median Republican, but that was only at 70% in 1994. As of five years ago, that number was at 94%. Again, I think it's higher. Uh, let, me, let me just put this differently. This is how the article concluded and it was very, very helpful for me. 
1994, 23% of Republicans were more liberal than the median Democrat, one in four, right? On the flip side, uh, a little bit lower, but almost one in five Democrats were more conservative than the median Republic, Republican. As of five years ago, those numbers were down to just four and 5% respectively. The, the gap has grown tremendously and the division is abundant. John Noonan, as he was giving this TED talk, he claims that his reason, the, the reason that he thinks this is happening is because people no longer ingest news to be informed, they ingest news to be validated. Uh, they, they come up with their views, their ideas, their opinions, and then they only seek out news that validates their opinions that they already have rather than being informed. Uh, there's a word for this when we do this with the Bible. It's the word eisegesis. We bring our views, our already preformed opinions to the Bible. And instead of reading the Bible to learn from it and to grow and to be challenged, we read the Bible to validate the views that we already believe. And this is what John Noonan suggests we're doing with politics. We're doing with our news sources. We only look for news sources that validate our views. Now bring this back to what Paul's saying. Is this what he means by agree wholeheartedly with one another? Only seek out news in this case, which agrees with you and which you can agree with. I would argue it's not what he's saying. I think the NIV translation does a little bit better. It translates this word uh, being like-minded. Again, the, the word is phreneo, and literally it means to be of the same mindset, to cherish similar values, ultimately being harmonious with one another. And often Jesus uses this word in reference to a mindset that is fixated on the kingdom of heaven. You know, Paul uses this word elsewhere to fix your mind, set your mindset on heavenly things. This is a heavenly mindset that can and should exist despite disagreement. Uh, you don't need to agree with each other or, or be on the same page about an, an issue to experience freneho, this like-mindedness, this heavenly-mindedness. Now that word's gonna come up again in verse five. So uh, we'll see that again there. But the second thing Paul says is that we should love one another. So he says, if you've experienced encouragement from, from Jesus, if you've experienced relationship with him, he says, be like-minded and then love one another. And the Greek word here is the word agape. Now it's a common word in church culture. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard the word agape. If not, it's the, the word that translates into love here, uh, but it's a very special kind of love. Now, we don't do the word love really well in English. You know, in Greek, there's a number of different ways that you can say the word love. In, in English, we just have love. Now I found this out for the first time years ago when uh, my wife and I were doing mission work in the Czech Republic. You know, we have a huge heart for the Czech in our last church. We did missions there. My wife has lived in the Czech. We, we love the Czech people. It's, it's been a lot of fun to do that. Uh, but in conversation, I, I'll never forget this. Uh, one night we're talking, there's a group of us and this, this idea of love came up and, and how we use this word in English. And uh, the guy that I was talking to, and there was a crowd that was, that was gathered here for this exchange. Uh, he said, he's like, okay, let me, let me get this straight. Uh, you love your mom. To which I responded, 
absolutely. Yes, yes, I love my mom. I, I wasn't understanding what's so difficult to get about this. Yes, I love my mom. And then he goes, but wait, but you love your wife. To which again, I responded, yes, this is not difficult. I love my mom, I love my wife. And everyone around starts giggling at this. And I was a little confused, so, you know, What's, what's, the, what's the matter here? And he says, let me get this straight. You have the same affection for your mom as you do for your wife. And immediately I got it and I'm like, okay, wait, wait, okay. Said, no, 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 these are very different types of love. But we, in English, we just use the word love. Uh, the conversation got really funny uh, once we started to talk about my affection for pizza, which is also the word love, if, if you were wondering. But the word Agape in, in Greek, it's, it's a very special kind of love. It's not just, oh yeah, love, love one another. It is usually a love that is referred to God. You know, it's usually his love, this self-sacrificial, others-oriented, this pouring out of love that usually God does. But Paul uses it here as an instruction of how we are to engage in relationship with one another, that we are to agape one another. And, and Paul is going to go on. He's going to show us practically what this looks like. But again, agape can and should exist despite disagreement. You don't, need to disagree, you don't need to agree with one another to experience agape. He's writing this to a church that was divided and he says agape in the midst of it. And politically, I love how Andy Stanley puts this. He says, we can disagree politically yet love unconditionally. We can disagree politically, but love unconditionally I would encourage us that I think the, the world around us from those who follow Jesus needs more love unconditionally despite political disagreement. The last thing Paul says, he says, work together with one mind and one purpose. So he says, phreneo, be like-minded, agape, love one another. And then the last one is this word, sumsukos, uh, which is pretty fun to say, kind of rolls off the tongue, sumsukos. And it means to be closely united in soul. You know, the, the English translation, we get work together with one mind, one purpose. You see this, we, we are to be united together. I love the Greek that we are be, to be united together in soul. Now, that's where I get the title for my message, to be souls united. This word speaks to a deep, profound level of connectivity, uh, of being united together. This is the only time in the entire Bible that this word, sumsukos, appears. And it's right here, and Paul is using it to challenge a church that is struggling with disunity. This is the instruction in the midst of division. It is the word sumsukos. Now, I was, as I was thinking about this in terms of politics uh, this week, it, it just, the question came to my mind, like politically, have we ever done this? 
Have we ever tried this on like a macro political level, this idea of sumsukos to work together with one mind, one soul, one purpose, despite disagreement? Has that ever happened? And I, I found a time where uh, that has happened. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you know about this, but in 2011, there was something called the Grand Bargain. And now this took place when we had a, a Democratic president in 2011, Barack Obama, and we had a Republican controlled house led by the Speaker of the House, Republican John Boehner. And these two parties in 2011 came together, I would argue looking very much like Sumsukos, trying to put difference aside and unite together for the, for the greater purpose, the greater good. And they came together to strike a compromise. Now, if their compromise would have taken effect, this would have been one of the biggest compromises in US history. This would have had significant implications across a, a, a vast majority of policies if it would have taken place. But at the end of the day, the deal fell apart. Now, as is true in any conflict, both sides point the finger at each other. Uh, the Republicans say it's the Democrats' fault and the Democrats say it's the Republicans' fault. Uh, but the reality is the, the conclusion, the compromise that they came to, both parties felt like if they took this compromise back to their base, they wouldn't be able to sell it. And for the Republicans going back to the Republican base, it was just too liberal and vice versa on the Democratic side. So at the end of the day, the deal fell apart. Now you might be discouraged by that, but I was actually encouraged by that uh, and fascinated that that has happened uh, in our history and, and pretty recent history, only nine years ago, the fact that parties came together attempting to work together in what looks like to me, sumsukos. What I would argue for us, especially on, on our smaller scales, is that just because this sumsukos is not happening often on a macro political level, it doesn't mean that we can't do it on our micro political level. I think that in our spheres of influence, in the relationships that we have, in the conversations we engage in, my question is, can we do this differently? Can we do it differently than everyone else is doing it around us? Can we participate in sumsukos even if no one else is? You know, Paul here, he is painting this incredible picture of relationships. And in verse three and four, he's gonna get a little bit more specific as to what this actually looks like. He gives us some really good practical examples. Now look at verses three and four. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your interests, but take an interest in others also. If you're wondering what phreneo, like-mindedness looks like, what agape love looks like, what sumsukos type unity actually looks like, Paul gives us some examples. And I want you to notice that all of these examples can be summed up in four words. It's not about you. It's not about you. Look at, don't be selfish. It's not about you. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. It's not about you. Don't look out for your interests, but take an interest in others also. It's not about you. 
Uh, there's this comedian uh, by the name of Brian Regan. I'm a big fan of his. He's uh, hilarious and yet super clean, which is, which is great for the family folks out there. Uh, but he pointed out how people often make things about themselves in, in one of his uh, skits. He calls these people me monsters. Me monsters, and we all know the me monster type. You're in conversation with them, and you're not even finishing your sentences, finishing your thoughts. You know, they're coming in and, and cutting you off and, and making the conversation about them and, and their thoughts, their opinions, their views, their accomplishments, right? We, we all know the me monster type. Uh, he talks about in this skit, uh, having made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth removed. He, he said, don't tell this story because the people who have had four wisdom teeth removed will come in and they will cut you down in your path. And I've experienced this. I have a great story about having only two wisdom teeth removed and I never get to tell it. Someone always comes in with a four tooth wisdom story. I mean, it happens all the time. And now that I have an extra 30 seconds in my message and no one to interrupt me, I'm gonna tell you my hilarious wisdom teeth story. I went into the doctor, right? I was super nervous about this. I had never been put under before. I go into the doctor. Last thing I remember before waking up from the, from the surgery is my doctor looking at me with a pretty concerned face and, and saying, hey, uh, you look pretty nervous. Are you okay? Last thing I remember, I woke up, I'm all swollen, I'm like bloody, I'm a little bit loopy, but feeling pretty good. And I went to middle school ministry that night, led my middle school guys that night, got major brownie points with them because they knew from that moment forward, I loved them because here I was looking like I looked all swollen. I didn't have the beard back then to cover this up. I was swollen and uh, there were ladies there. I was single at the time. You know, there are lady leaders. Like that's where you're supposed to meet your wife, right? Is serving in middle school ministry. And here I was focused on my guys despite that big brownie points. But that's my two wisdom tooth tale. It's pretty good. I never get to tell it. Brian Regan's right. There's, I bet you at some point during that story, someone out there nudged their neighbor and was like, I, I had four. I had four wisdom teeth. Uh, it's, it's just the way it is. We've got me monsters out there. Just a side note, don't do it now, but later, Brian Regan, me monster, four minute video. You will laugh nonstop. Let's be honest though, moment of honesty. We all have a little me monster in us, right? We like things to be about us. We like for conversations to be about us. Politically, we, we like it when, when people are listening to our views, which dramatically impacts our listening, our ability to listen. You know, Stephen Covey, uh, kind of reiterating what Brian Regan's talking about, he says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand, they listen with the intent to reply. You know, we've, we've experienced this. Someone is listening to you uh, to get as much information as they need to formulate their response. And once they've got it, uh, they kind of turn off for a minute and then wait for their opportunity to respond and, and to talk back. It is the exact opposite of what Paul is saying here. We are to be unselfish. We are to have humility and think of others as more important than ourselves. We're to look out for the interests of others. He is describing the exact opposite of what comes so naturally to us. And so when we engage in these political conversations, I beg the question, would we engage in them differently if we were seeking to live out this humble, 
others-focused attitude, an attitude that actually listens to people and hears what they have to say and why they think the way that they think. Doug Larson says that wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you'd have preferred to talk. That's, that's difficult to do, but wisdom is what you get from a lifetime of listening. Now, Paul here again, he, he is painting this incredible picture of relationship. But what he hasn't done to this point is given us the why. You know, why live this way? M- most of us, if we're honest, we, we like us focused living. We like for things to be about us. Why do this differently? Especially if no one else around us is going to do this differently. Why in the world would I try to be others focused? Paul finishes with an incredible argument as to why we should live this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And that's that word phreneo. That you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who verse six, though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He had the status of God and he gave it up. Why? Because he was others focused, because he was self-sacrificial, because he was united in purpose with the Trinity. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He went from God status to human status to dead criminal status. And he did it out of agape love being others focused. So why should we participate in in difficult conversations differently? Why should we do it with a different attitude, with a different mindset? Why should we seek agape love and, and, and one soul type unity? Why in the world should we embrace humility and consider others as more important than ourselves? Why in the world would we do that? Again, especially if nobody else is doing it. Paul points us right back to Jesus And he says, because he did it. And he says, if you want to follow him, then you must be like him. You must have the same mindset. And church, let me challenge each and every one of us to phrase that as, if I am going to follow Jesus, I am going to have to be like him. I'm going to have to have a similar mindset. I, I see so much. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you can't do, if you're gonna do, you, you can't do this. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you have to. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to have the same mindset as Jesus. He is the perfect example of unity. And when we look at the Trinity, God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we see perfect unity, absolutely perfect. And in John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, he is praying this this final prayer to God on behalf of us, on behalf of those people who follow him. And his prayer for the people is that God, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. 
his prayer is for his followers to experience sumsukos, this unity, this, this being united in soul. He prays, may they be united. May they experience unity. May they be one as you and I are one. Church, I look around at so much of the disunity in the political landscape around us and Christians participating in it. And I, and I think, is, is Jesus just, just broken over the way that we're engaging in the conversation? Is he broken over the disunity, over the, dis, the disunity? Is he upset over the way that we're participating in the conversation? His prayer is for unity. May they experience oneness. Now, I can easily get discouraged you know, as I, as I said in the opener, the reason I wanna talk about this is because of, you know, the fact that it's weighing on me, but I can also be encouraged by knowing that this is a heavenly reality. You know, in, in heaven as described in Revelation, there will be unity and it will be perfect. My prayer for us as, as a church today, my prayer for us as, as followers of Jesus today is that we would begin to experience this heaven, heavenly reality of, of unity right here and right now on earth. It, like Jesus' prayer of may, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that we would experience this unity, this heavenly reality on earth today as it is in heaven. And I pray that we, us, me individually, would help to bring about this change that we could do this differently. And I think it looks like freneo, it looks like agape, and it looks like sumsukos. And I, I don't think we arrive at these things. I don't think we can say, good, I've got it, I'm done. I think this is what Jesus means by we daily pick up our cross and we follow him in the pursuit of these things. And so I wanna finish with just some really simple application. How do, we, how do we apply this? How do we seek to actually do this differently? I, I wanna speak to two different groups of people, all right? And I'll let you kind of self-identify, self-analyze as to which group you're in. And I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. Uh, two groups of people. The first one is, and these are both in terms of engagement. And, and the first group is, you're just not engaging in the political conversation at all. You know, maybe it's because you see the, the toxicity in it, the discord in it, and, and you're turned off by it. You just, you, I'm not interested, don't want to participate. Maybe you grew up uh, similar to me where it's like, we just don't talk about politics. Whatever it is, if, if you would identify, I'm just not engaging in the conversation at all, I would challenge you to engage. I think we have an incredible opportunity to engage in a very difficult, very tumultuous conversation and to do it differently than everybody else. You know, these words, freneo, agape, sinsukos, these are easy to do when we're all on the same page. It's easy to do in the midst of agreement. Right now, we have the, the challenge, the opportunity to do it again differently than anybody else is doing it. You know, I'll give you an example for me. What I, what, how this looks for me is I've been uh, just messaging people on social media. You know, I follow a, a very diverse uh, group of people on social media and I'll see something, maybe a post that I disagree with. And instead of a, a public snap at this person of how dare you believe that, I've just been messaging them. One-on-one -on -one direct message, it doesn't need to be public. And I've just asked, you know, can you tell me more about that? 
Why is it that you believe that you believe? Uh, you know, I, I've just been asking very simple questions and, and then listening to their response. You know, how have you been impacted by this? I, I just love to hear more. And this started as kind of a challenge of working through some of this stuff and how can I engage in this differently? And now it's turned into, I just genuinely want to know. I genuinely want to love you better and know you more. Could you tell me more about your perspective and where you're coming from, why you believe what you believe? And I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna hear you. Yeah, I was engaging in this conversation with, with someone that we have on staff and uh, he, he's asking two questions to people and I, I just think they're fantastic as well. I'll, I'll include them. He's asking, how do you see this issue affecting your family? Yeah, I, I love that question. You know, if, if there's a political issue and I see it impacting my family, naturally, I'm gonna get emotional about it, right? I'm gonna be passionate about it. And so we can ask, how is this affecting your family? Or we can say, I, I can see you feel very strongly about this. What's your personal experience with this issue? I, I love the personalization, the, the question asking the, I wanna actually hear you and listen to you and know you better in the midst of what's going on. The other group that I wanna to talk to is those of you who, again, this is for you to decide, for you to self-analyze. And I promise I'm coming at this very, very humbly with prayer. Uh, but the other group is to those of you who would, you would say, I'm over engaging. I'm engaging in this conversation too much. I'm to the point where I am firmly grounded in my views. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna listen to anybody. Uh, I think mu much of our country, according to the stats, are there. Uh, I, I'm here, I'm not gonna listen to anybody I don't agree with. They're wrong, I'm angry, I'm emotional. And uh, for, for those of you who would say that, I would say maybe you need a break from your local news channel. You know, maybe you need to do a seven day, a 14 day fast uh, to slow down a little bit, to get rid of some of the emotion behind uh, your views so that you can participate in this conversation differently. Rachel Hollis says, you become who you surround yourself with. You become what you consume. If you find yourself in a slump or feel as though you're living in negative space, maybe angry space, take a good hard look at who and what you see every day. You know, maybe some of you need a break from who and what you're seeing every day. It's pretty hard to be humble and loving and live out the kind of things that Paul is talking about when you're angry, when, when you're hurt, uh, when you're emotional. And so you might need to let some emotion subside so that you can live this out, so that you can be others oriented. Church, my hope is that we can do this differently, that as followers of Jesus, we can engage in the conversation differently. And it might look like saying some of the, the same things, the same ideas, but saying them in a very different way. And to conclude, I mean, is it naive of me to think that we can do this on, on a grand scale? You know, I've been wrestling with that this week. Is it naive of me to think that in, in four years from now, when that survey is done again, that we're gonna see that gap close and Republicans and Democrats are, are more together than they've ever been before? I think that's naive. But is it naive of me to think that I can do this differently? that I can participate in this conversation differently, that I can seek to be united in soul with people around me despite disagreement, despite difference. I absolutely believe that I can do it differently. 
And church, if I believe I can do it differently, I believe you can do it differently too. And so that's my prayer. I'm gonna close with a prayer that Pastor Bryce prayed this past Tuesday. Uh, if you don't know, every Tuesday and Thursday, we've been doing calls to prayer on our social media. I'd invite you to check those out. But Tuesday, coincidentally, Bryce did a prayer of unity and our call to prayer was all about unity. And he prayed uh, what I just thought was a profound prayer from a prayer book on unity. And so church, I'd invite you to join me and pray this again with me. Oh Lord God, you have taught us to keep every one of your commandments simply by loving you and by loving our neighbor. God grant us the grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart, our whole being. And may we be united together with pure affection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God in perfect unity. God, may we experience that unity today and forevermore, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen.